Elrod, we have a real treat for our listeners today. Yes, we do. One of the best strategists in the party. By the way, this is the electables. I didn't say that on the front end, and I'm with my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Um, Hi, Doug. Also, I'm sorry about the the Razorbacks. You know, it was a really it was a really good game, and we've got a lot of potential. So, as sad as I was that we didn't have the first SEC win in two years, Doug, two years. At least we played well. We've got some really good talent, and I'm hoping that we can beat Kentucky. Um, we have a bye weekend coming up next weekend is Kentucky, so I'm hoping that this bodes well for future games. Well, at least you have hope. I don't have any hope in my uh, football team, the Washington Redskins. They are basically dead, and uh, there's nothing we can do about it. So, it is uh, what it is. Yeah, it is I'm what sorry. it is. But the treat we have for folks today is uh, Karen Hicks, who is one of the top political strategists in the business, uh, but also one of the um, foremost experts uh, on New Hampshire politics, has worked... Uh, Uh, served in a senior role for the Clinton campaign in 2008, also was the field director for the Kerry campaign in 2004. And I met Karen for the first time in 2004 when we were both on uh, the Howard Dean campaign. Um, She's done a million other things. We could spend a lot of time talking about her her resume, but um, we're just really delighted to have Karen on the electables. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Well, thanks for having me. There's nothing like going through your the litany of races that you've worked on to make you feel both really old and like <laughs> it's time to win one. So <laughs> thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you. Um, you know, several weeks ago, we did a uh, we did a focus on Iowa with Matt Paul, who's an Iowa expert. And it's actually was was one of our more popular. It was one of our more popular episodes. It, I, I've heard a lot from folks in terms of just what they took out of that and you know particularly the you know the there's there's a lot of intricacies about the Iowa caucus but we've been wanting to have um, Karen on the show for uh, quite a while and I'm glad it fin- it worked out today because New Hampshire is uh, as important uh, as Iowa in the nominating process historically and I think this cycle and so we'd just love your take on right now where do things stand on the contest uh, for the Democratic nomination uh, in New Hampshire, who is, you know, who who right now, if you had to put money on someone to win it, who would you put money on? And then also, I'd love your thoughts on who is running, you know, the best campaign there. There's recent polling out this week that shows Elizabeth Warren taking the lead. And I would say if the election were held today, I would sort of agree with that poll that I think that she has been working uh, very much in a head down, her organization kind of reflecting her approach to this, which is work, work, work. They've got a methodology that they're working. And so I think that if it were held today, she would probably narrowly top uh, top the other candidates here. I think, you know, Bernie has had a good presence and, uh, you know, decent organization and starts with a lot of support, which I think has has fallen off a little bit. And then there's um, a soft spot for Joe Biden uh, among a lot of New Hampshire voters. But one of the things that's really different this year around is I've never seen a primary up here where people 
are keeping their powder dry as long as they are in Mm -hmm. this contest. There's really, people do not feel like there's a rush to make the, um, to make the, um, make their minds up. And so they're taking their time waiting to see if the field thins out a little bit, um, waiting to see if anybody rises up and meets the moment. And so people, you know, I think compared to previous cycles, there were way more endorsements of, of influentials and electeds than there are right now. And so it just feels like things are slow and the campaigns are doing the best that they can to build an organization. But it is it feels very, very slow in terms of the voters making their minds up. Karen, can you talk a little bit about the influence that the Iowa caucus results have on New Hampshire? Um, You know, obviously in 2016, Hillary Clinton narrowly won Iowa. And then (laughs) 10 days later, as I recall, I think it was 10 days later, we um, got trounced by Bernie Sanders by 20 points in New Hampshire. Um, So we didn't really have that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, the bump from Iowa that really helped us, I think, Hillary's campaign in New Hampshire, but what about this year? I mean, let's say hypothetically Elizabeth Warren were to win Iowa. Do you think that would help her substantially in New Hampshire? Or do New Hampshire voters sort of make up their own mind? They're not really influenced by um, the first caucus in the nation. I think that the first uh, caucus will be really influential. With a field this big, I think voters uh, are struggling to sort of even – figure out and we should we should come up with a jingle that helps us name all of the candidates um, because (laughs) people can't do it right Mm -hmm. even even folks that are tracking this very very closely and so I think given the size of the field just the narrowing that will happen as a result of Iowa um, might not influence the top pick but it certainly makes it harder for people who are you know not coming out of the caucuses with with very many delegates and so I think it'll uh, shrink the field. I think that New Hampshire voters kind of pride themselves on an independent look. Iowa picks corn. We pick presidents here. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I, you know, you'll, you went over the last presidential election, but we had the reverse happen in 08 where Barack Obama won the caucuses and then Hillary Clinton had a big comeback here in New Hampshire. And so I think uh, the results will will narrow um, the list for voters, but I think that the what happens in the ten days in between those contests is also really really important. Um, so, uh, you know, I I think that you know I've stopped making predictions because after the last election, as my daughter likes to point out, I was really wrong about it. And so <laughs> we all were, you know. Uh, yeah. So I'm still nursing those wounds, but I think that it's um, it's going to be tricky to see uh, how people deal with what is a really compressed schedule and the candidates that are voting or that are that are placing their bets on, you know, a slim down set of states. You know, that logic just never comes to fruition when once the voting starts starts happening. And so you can't really skip the early states. You got to put the um, legwork into both Iowa and New Hampshire, as well as the, you know, the later contests of um, Nevada and South Carolina. So I think all of those are important. And it's really 
tough because people's resources are stretched pretty thin with the sizes of the operations that they're trying to prop up in, in all of these states. Karen, are you surprised that there hasn't been a direct in, direct engagement yet by Warren and Sanders's campaigns? They're fighting over a lot of the same votes. I think that uh, one of it, 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 I think unless I think if they don't, if one of them doesn't win New Hampshire, it's going to be hard for that person to go on. Uh, I've I think we both Adrian and I have been waiting for that you know, that moment when they engage one another. Maybe it's happening on the ground in New Hampshire and we just haven't heard about it, but are you surprised about that? And do you expect it to happen? You know, I think it's always a tricky calculation when you're in a field that is more than two people for anybody to take a shot at somebody else because, Doug, you'll recall that, you know, (laughs) Howard Dean was the subject of those attacks by, coordinated attacks by the other campaigns. The murder-suicide of Gephardt and Dean in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think it's a very tricky strategic question of of who goes after who and when. And I think that um, Senator Warren has really eaten into uh, Bernie Sanders' support here. I think that Bernie had a lot of support in the last presidential primary up here. The, the initial base of his support was a lot of folks who just were never going to be for uh, Secretary Clinton. And they found a home with Bernie. I don't think, you know, he's held on to a lot of those people who are just never going to support Secretary Clinton. So uh, many of them have gone elsewhere. And I think that, uh, you know, we will see, you know, Senator Sanders has dropped quite a bit. And so I think that the shakeup that he's had, they shook up their leadership here in the state there's a lot of grousing uh, among the campaign about the direction. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they start to take a more aggressive tact. Um, and with uh, Senator Warren, you know, I would I would hold tight if I were in her shoes. Now, she's going to have a lot of people coming at her, in a in a way that I think will be new. And we'll see how she responds to that. But if you're staking your candidacy on not attacking your opponents to all of a sudden change course both sends kind of a panicked message and also has the tendency to backfire among some of the more um, uh, values-based voters that have flocked to them because of their positive message, but we'll see. Karen, who... Actually, I have two questions for you. Number one, the first question is, who has the best ground game operation? Who do you think has the best um, just overall operation in New Hampshire? And my second question is, given your point that resources for campaigns are much thinner this time around than they were in 2016, um, how do you sort of compare the campaigns on the ground now versus the types of operations that Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders had in 2016? Because... At least speaking for you know Hillary's campaign, we had plenty of resources um, at this point in the campaign, and we invested, of course, those resources very heavily in early states, especially Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. But how much of a difference do you see from the 2016 election cycle to now? Well, let me take your first question um, out of the gate. I think you know, what What has been a great thing to watch is that 
the New Hampshire campaigns have largely had leadership that is that are organizers from New Hampshire. And so that um, that makes me helpful, hopeful about the future here. It makes me hopeful about winning New Hampshire in the general election. It's a swing state that that Clinton won very narrowly in the general election. And so I really like that that um, the campaigns have focused on hiring in-state talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so many of them that that really does speak to the ecosystem. I think that, you know, many of them are running um, campaigns that are strong in different ways. And so if you look at uh, Cory Booker's campaign, for example, here, he's got a lot of uh, endorsements from state senators. I think he's kind of leading that march. Um, and so has has really made it a big effort to try to recruit them. They're, uh, you know, important local ambassadors here. And so he's done a really good job that's kind of his political operation is outperforming where he is in the polls. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I would look for as a potential surprise. I think that um, Elizabeth Warren has, you know, if I'm just looking at what they're doing, I can see that they're is a method to how they're working the state. They're building their own events. They have really um, been first out of the gate with voter contact and doing door to door. They've had a smart approach on not trying to pin people down too early, but they seem very tuned in to the fact that people are still making up their mind and that important there's something that's always been important in Iowa and it's been less important in New Hampshire, but it feels relevant this cycle, which is your second and third choice matter a lot with the race as volatile as it is. And so if she can be second choice for somebody, I think that they are figuring out how to keep engaging those folks. And so she's had a very good operation. Um, and, you know, I think the others have different strengths, but those two come to mind as as having, you know, an approach and they're working their strategy. Um, Karen, I have a quick question. Where can, um, if you're, if you're, and this is sort of like New Hampshire 101, I think for our listeners, but can you give us a, a sense of a breakdown of where the votes are uh, for, um, for, uh, for the, for the candidates? Like where, where are they? Where are they going to invest their their resources in terms of their voter contact program? What, what's the hotbed of um, New Hampshire for for votes in in terms of the, yeah. the state? Yes. So you know, New Hampshire is small, which is part of what makes it um, really an excellent place for the candidates that aren't coming in with millions and millions of dollars. And so it's a state that you can work from a grassroots perspective, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, how a lot of people have approached it. It's why Bill Clinton, you know, I think won the nomination uh, in 1992. And so Mm -hmm. it's relatively small. I think there'll probably be between 275 and just over 300,000 votes cast on election day, which will be, you know, a pretty high uh, compared to previous cycles. We expect it to be higher since at this point, there's not a real primary on the Republican side. Um, Independents, undeclared voters can, can pick either primary that they want to vote in. And so it's, it's um, available to people who, who are registered Democrats. And then the biggest voting block in New Hampshire are um, undeclared voters. And so that's also something that really distinguishes New Hampshire from Iowa. 
mm-hmm. where the the bar in Iowa are, you know, registered Democrats who are going to spend three or four hours uh, on caucus day caucusing. And so this is a much lower bar for participation with higher numbers of people um, participating. And so the the state is fairly concentrated. Three quarters of the population is in the bottom quarter of the state from a geographic perspective. And so basically from Concord South. And so Rockingham, Hillsborough are, are the two most populated counties where, you know, you'll see the, the campaign spending a lot of time. Um, the, the other thing to note just from sizing up the race is that we, uh, you know, New Hampshire is a very, very expensive media market. And so it's a Boston media market. And that helps Elizabeth Warren uh, because people have been seeing her commercials since she ran for the Senate. Uh, so that, you know, she's gotten some tough treatment from her, from her hometown media, but you know, that, that gives her a leg up. Um, Sanders has the same advantage on that Western, um, border that we share with Vermont. And so there's a lot of, you know, hometown advantage. I think New Hampshire has been, um, rough on some of those folks. Certainly John Kerry had a rough time up here and was really in deep trouble in mm-hmm. 04 until he won the Iowa caucuses. Um, so, you know, that's, we're accustomed to dealing with that, but I think that that'll, um, impact the race. And then Adrian, to get back to your question about how is this different from 16? I think that in both the 12, 08 and 12, um, elections and to a certain extent, the 16 elections, we sort of skipped over a lot of the traditional way that the New Hampshire primary has worked. And so usually, you know, when candidates the the year before the election are, are coming here, they're meeting with people in very small venues, in living rooms, in, in um, you know, at diners and doing a lot of retail politics. Mm-hmm. The 08 campaign was really different um, because it was more of a celebrity primary with two high profile, you know, many more people in the race, but it was really about Clinton and Obama. Um, and then we've seen that, that we, we've had small fields that have, have the events have gotten very big fast. And this feels like a return to a more grassroots approach. Um, it's still most of these campaigns have very professional organizations, but as you can imagine, it's a very, very crowded environment. And so the things to watch for um, includes who's really building a grassroots um, organization that can uh, reach voters directly, who who is going to be reaching out to their social networks on behalf of the candidate that they're supporting. And so those are those are things that I think, you know, in the last couple of previous cycles, it's not been as much of a um, uh, petri dish for grassroots organizing as as it is going to be this time around when you know somebody could could walk out of here you know with fifty thousand votes might be enough to win it if the the spread is significant which is crazy if you think about it right especially with so like you said with so many people running so Karen I know you're not advising any candidates right now not working for any particular candidates but if you were working for someone let's say someone who's polling around three to four percent or somebody who's polling around in low single digits 
who, um, you know, still hopes to, you know, make a strong play in New Hampshire, still hopes to pick up some delegates. What's like one piece of advice or maybe like a, a short snippet of advice that you would give them? I mean, what can they do to, to improve their numbers specifically in New Hampshire? Well, I think it's a combination of, you know, there's nothing that substitutes for what the candidates are, are doing and saying. And so I think the time in the state matters, but what you do with that time is really the key thing that each of these campaigns need to be focused on. And so I think that's part one of the advice uh, and that I'll come back to. And the second piece is really building an organization that can either be a sale when you get some momentum, and that could be a debate performance, that could be a good surprising finish in Iowa, but that organization is going to be what allows you to really capture that momentum and turn it into votes, or sometimes it's a safety net. And so if you're Elizabeth Warren, um, for example, and, and the expectations are starting to rise for her, uh, and so if people say, oh my gosh, she's done, if she hasn't finished first in Iowa, building that organization can give you um, a bit of a safety net here that allows you to go on and fight another day. So I think what you do with your time and then building the organization so that it's either um, helping you capture that momentum or keep you from dropping are two really important pieces of the puzzle. The first on what they're saying is that I think, you know, this is really an unfortunate, you know, continuing to have these debates that are across two days makes it really, really hard to stand out. And so I think, you know, people have to rise up and meet the moment and take advantage of those opportunities and not um, not miss a single one. And, you know, so I think that that is important. And then, you know, an opening that I see here is that I think you have Warren and and Sanders really battling it out for what is going to be, who's going to be the progressive standard bearer. There's other people that are, you know, sort of nipping there, but I think that'll be important. The lane that I think is sort of open are, and this is really important for New Hampshire, is is the more moderate voters who are, you know, who are the people that can capture a big chunk of independence, who is going to appeal to those suburban women um, who have turned their back on Trump and they may, you know, look to cast a ballot in the Democratic primary, but they're not going to go for, for, you know, Medicare for all or the Green New Deal or, you know, a big upending of the economic system. And so I think that there's, there's a lane there that it just doesn't feel like it's occupied by somebody who can either be you know, transformational like Obama was by virtue of his lived experience and who he is, his policy positions were not that different from Hillary Clinton. So it wasn't them duking it out on on policy. It was really the style of leadership um, that, that, you know, people ultimately picked Barack Obama in that matchup. Um, so I, I think that there's openings all over the place. There's people, you know, Amy Klobuchar is trying her best to sort of occupy that middle lane, but it feels like that's where the biggest block of undecided voters are. If you're a real progressive, you've got a lot of choices here for for who to go with. Karen, I got uh, one more question for you. What's your best New Hampshire primary memory? 
Oh, wow. (laughs) My best New Hampshire primary memory. Um, You know, I have to say that I think when, when Hillary Clinton won after her disappointing finish in Iowa, uh, was, you know, it, it, I knew that there was a good organization here. I knew that, um, New Hampshire voters had a soft spot for her, but it was shaky. And I remember being out on the trail and, um, John Sasso was in the car and we were driving to some event. They just looked at me and he was like, you know, this is over. Like this, the bottom falls out with this. <laughs> and I argued with him and I was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. And he was like, it is over. And so <laughs> when, when we won it, you know, it was, I just remember being so elated because it restored my, my faith in, in organization building. And so that's, that's one of them. There's just also so many other small instances where, you know, what's so fabulous about these early states is how up close and personal and how these voters here just take things so, so seriously and um, aren't uh, awestruck or gobsmacked by, you know, sort of political celebrities and, and ask them tough questions and put them through the ringers. And so there's a gazillion of those examples where people just really will step up and challenge. But um, snatching that victory from the jaws of defeat was was really remarkable. Karen, you're going to bring some tears to my eyes. I remember that so well. It was when she got emotional when Hillary Clinton, um, you know, shed a tear in that town hall. And that's what I think sort of, you know, at least the media like to say that that's what really changed it. And I remember being at headquarters in Boston, right outside of Washington, D.C., which is where the campaign was headquartered in 2008 and just being so excited and so elated. So thank you for all the work you did to make sure that she had that comeback and was able to, uh, to solidify her place in New Hampshire. Yeah. That was one of the most shocking victories I think in, 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 in recent political history. I mean, everyone had counted her out. Um, especially after Obama won Iowa. Right. I mean, the polls had him up by a, a good amount and, um, Maybe I think Karen may Karen and probably a couple Karen may have been the only one who who knew that you you guys could win. Yeah, there were a couple of other people. A couple that, other people. You know, it, it, yeah, it's it's a crazy thing. But I think this thing today is so far from over, and we're going to have you know four months before the voting uh, starts, and it's just it's going to be really really important. And you'll see who's done their homework and who hasn't. And who's ready for the moment. But I think it's going to be a very exciting, super consequential election. And, and you know, I have a lot of faith in the voters of this state. So I'm hoping that they will set us on a course of picking, helping to pick the nominee that's really going to take the fight to Trump. This is why we love politics, Karen. This is why we're in in the game. It's it's very exciting, and it's it's uh, you, you never you never know what's going to happen. And to your point, it's still very very early. So. Karen Hicks, thank you so much for joining us today on The Electables. We appreciate it. We definitely want to have you back before the New Hampshire primary. Well, I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, uh, this is Doug Thornell. This has been uh, The Electables, and we will catch you next time.